Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 90. From my recollections, this is only the third guest that has reappeared on the podcast um, from what I understand. So Matthew Jones is back, sports nutritionist. We spoke to Matthew on episode, I think it was episode 79. He had some great information and we said in that podcast that there was still loads to talk about. So I decided to get him back on and we put out to you guys in terms of any questions you wanted Matthew to address as well, which he does in the podcast. So Matthew's come back on to talk about nutrition strategies for players, clubs, coaches with any budget restraints. We talk about nutrition periodization. We talk about his match day strategies uh, or match day nutrition. And then um, all the way through the episode, he constantly refers to practical interventions that you could put in place with your players um, if you or if you are a player, um, some practical interventions you could put in in your routine as well. So, again, a really really informative episode with Matthew. I think there's always great stuff that comes from him. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm just going to ask you if anyone's got any recommended guests that you would like to hear on the podcast. Please reach out and let us know. So you can contact us on Twitter or Instagram at footballfitfed or drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com and let us know anyone that you'd like to hear on the podcast and then we'll reach out to them and see if they fancy coming on. And also any subjects as well or topics that you'd like to hear us cover too. So again, like I said, a great episode with Matthew. Big thanks to him for coming back on. And here is the episode with Matthew Jones. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 90. Can't believe we made it to 90. But I'm delighted today to be rejoined by a former guest on the podcast, Matthew Jones, sports nutritionist. Matthew, thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Ben. I um, must admit, um, when I was invited back, I thought, uh, yeah, it's better, better live up to the expectations and um, try and try and deliver some goods. No, we said at the time, mate, there was so much we could dive into and sort of reflecting on the last podcast that was jam-packed. And if anyone's not listened, I'm pretty sure 70, it was episode 79, so you can go back and have a listen to that. Um, and you can go into Matthew's background, who he's working with and all that sort of stuff on that podcast as well. We're not going to take up time going into that on this one because we've got some really good stuff to run through. Um, but yeah, we had to get you back on to touch on a few more things, mate. But just first of all, it's been... A few weeks, we're still in lockdown, even though we're eased up a little bit. But how's things been for you? Yeah, been been busy as ever, Ben. Um, I mean, obviously, as a consultant, um, it's it's quite challenging working with uh, with different squads, but then also working uh, with squads that are in lockdown adds a, another layer of complexity for sure. And uh, I mean, the, the whole restart thing is has been really challenging, to be honest. The uh, the logistical side of like food provision and food service um, and making it, ensuring that that whole thing is safe. Um, and then trying, obviously the environmental factors as well. So now it's, uh, it's pretty hot right now and it's um, players have, have got that ad- added layer of complexity as well. So uh, in terms of providing the, the suitable interventions and delivering those interventions um, within the confines of me working from home and, uh, and, and the limitations that are in place uh, in regards to the, um, the the restrictions and everything around the the virus um, has been de- really really challenging, uh, but it's been exciting nonetheless. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a new challenge to overcome. So 
um, it's it's been quite stimulating, and uh, obviously you learn from every every environment and every new challenge you face. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of this period, like working with players, there must have been a few challenges that have cropped up along the way because players have essentially been locked in houses and albeit probably quite nice houses, but at the same time, um, they're left to their own devices in many ways, aren't they? And it's hard to get out. It's hard to get food on the go and things like that they, they might normally do. So what what's some things that you've faced yeah, so in the initial stages, we were delivering or we were arranging the delivery of uh, either pre-prepared meals. Um, so they were offered the opportunity to have like pre-prepared meals, but then they were also offered the opportunity to have like vegetable boxes and fruit boxes and, and things like that delivered to their houses. Um, and I must admit that most of the players uh, went with the, the vegetable boxes because they kind of wanted to spend the time making meals with their family and, and things like that during the lockdown period. Cause, um, so as I mentioned last time, I think most of the players that, that I work with anyway, use the time quite constructively and, and, uh, hone their cooking skills, um, which, which has been nice, uh, in terms of like the challenges, I think the, one of the big things that we've noticed is like a, a slight reduction in lean body mass, especially in the lower body, because they were just kind of running, basically running all the time. And, um, probably not getting enough of a stimulus in in the in the lower body. So um, obviously that's not really my area, but that's something that on reflection that um, if if this happens again, we probably need to to look at. But as I say, most players responded quite um, quite well to the whole scenario, and they were asking some really good questions because football was taken away from them. So all they had to think about was running and and eating. Um, so they yeah they they were one hundred percent invested in in. Uh, in nutrition and, and definitely use their time wisely. That's good to hear because it's it's definitely a time that we can do that, can't can't we? We can learn new skills and uh, it's a time we can practice. And I think the important bit that you mentioned there, probably the most important bit of all, is is players spending time with family. And because this is time where normally they'd be training, they'd be off playing in away games and potentially traveling to Europe and places like that. So. It's really important, isn't it, that they've used that time, like any anyone in any job, um, to spend with family and, and create those relationships and make those relationships stronger. Yeah, absolutely. The, the psychological aspect was uh, was really important as well, especially for like West Ham, the team I was playing with. There, it was um, getting to a stage in the season where the, the pressure cooker was ramping up and uh, to step away from that and take some time to gain some perspective on life has, has been has been quite nice for them. Um, so yeah, I think they're they're now ready to to step back in and and continue the battle. And we put it out after the last podcast to say um, any reflections from people and any questions. And one of the first questions that, that cropped up, I think, from Stephen Shaw, was um, about budget constraints and your recommendations. Now this will cross over to amateur coaches amateur players semi-professional or even lower lower league um football league clubs or players as well so can you go into some some advice that you'd give to people in that sort of situation yeah absolutely so i must admit i've not really been in a situation where that there's like a a massive budget issue i i I've been kind of unfortunate or, or fortunate, whatever way you look at it, to, to be kind of blessed with a, a relatively large budget on most occasions. So I can't really talk from, from experience here, but um, I, I can definitely give some kind of recommendations on, on my thought process around what I would do and how I would handle it. Um, so 
I think uh, I think what was his name Steve I think he mentioned obviously education and and that that would be the obvious answer because obviously it's minimum uh, resources but um I think sometimes we get kind of carried away with with the impact of education obviously education becomes a a key part of what we do as as nutrition uh, practitioners but I think we often overstate the importance of it and um if we look at the the research like knowledge does not always equal action so uh, if I take myself for uh, as an example, during this lockdown period, I know that going for a run every day was probably a good idea, but I, I didn't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, knowing and doing are two like completely different things, really. And and if we like just solely focus on education, then I think we're kind of uh, yeah we're, we're kind of missing out on a, a number of other important aspects. Um, so, if we think about like what actually influences food intake, so. Um, then we can probably de- start to develop a, a better understanding of how we can develop a, an intervention and how economical fact or economic factors might influence things. So obviously in terms of like food intake, we've got biological factors like uh, taste and appetite and things like that. And then physical factors like access to food and, and skill and education is one of those as well. Um, and then you have social factors as well, um, which can be like family, friends and, and the culture. Um, and then you've got uh, psychological factors, so mood and, and stress and things like that. And, and then finally, you've got economic factors. So um, if we just focus on the economic aspects, so the, the cost of food and, and the availability of food, um, th- then I think we, we kind of um, have to then prioritize. So we have to kind of develop a, a, pri- or a list of importance, basically. Or, um, and at the bottom of the nutrition pyramid of importance, we have uh, energy requirements. So just meeting your daily energy requirements, that's the most important part. Um, and so above that, we have like macronutrient requirements. So meeting your requirements for um, carbohydrate, protein and, and fat. Uh, and then above that, we have meal timing. And then right at the top of the pyramid, uh, you have supplements. So if we were, if we were in a situation where um, obviously we, we didn't necessarily have a, a huge budget, then we, we definitely have to focus on on the important aspects, uh, the most significant aspects, which are obviously meeting those energy requirements uh, and meeting the macronutrient requirements. Um, and then we could probably sacrifice um, some of the, of the supplements uh, that may or may not work because ultimately if you get the bottom layers of that pyramid uh, right, you're probably 70, 80, maybe even 90% of the way there um, and then certain supplements are just like the icing on the cake, if you like. Um, so I know that's easier said than done. Um, so I guess if, if I were to like run through that, obviously it really depends on, on, on the budget of the club. But if I was to kind of make, make some suggestions, um, then breakfast at the club could be provided. Um, it could be like over um, the oat pots, you know, like a, a, a Quaker oats, so simple, those small pots. I think they're pretty pretty low cost, you know. And if you have them with uh, with some milk or some Greek yogurt and and frozen berries, and, and you make it into like a, a compote of some sort with with honey and things like that, then obviously you're going to get some um, the carbohydrate component prior to training, uh, and then the protein as well. Um, and then um, obviously, if you need additional calories, then, then peanut butter can be um, kind of an additional calorie source. Um, and and again, that meal is is probably as low cost as you you're going to get um so if you are able to provide a, a meal uh, prior to prior to training um then that's that's a, a pretty good option i would say um 
And then during training itself, obviously you could probably sacrifice the the, the supplements during training um, because the reality is not you probably won't need them. So carbohydrate sports drinks are only really going to benefit um, in in fasted athletes or in athletes that are training over seventy minutes um, at intent, like high intensities, of course. So. Uh, there was a paper back in, um, I think it was 2013, by an author called uh, Columbani, I think his name was. His, um, and they basically did a, a really nice study to um, analyze uh, the, the effects of uh, carbohydrate sports drinks in non-fasted athletes. So athletes that kind of reflect or circumstances that reflect the real world. So they got uh, the participant, well, they, they basically reviewed all the, all the carbohydrate research and found that carbohydrate intake during exercise was only really beneficial uh, when players didn't consume breakfast or when they can uh, when they compete uh, completed exercise that's over over 70 minutes and i don't think that that paper gets as much airtime as it needs really because obviously you've got um companies like gatorade and um lucasade that are really really big into into sports drinks so um it, that, that paper is certainly interesting and it, and it basically highlights the fact that if uh, if a player is consuming uh, a good carbohydrate rich breakfast then the reality is they, they don't need um the sports drink uh, during training so again on a on a low budget that that really helps and and water pretty much will suffice in that in that circumstance and uh, i mean nowadays it's it's common for um, players to like or prefer flavored drinks so the electrolyte tablets they're, they're probably they're going to be beneficial for their taste rather than the the electrolytes they provide because especially here in england um again diet the diet should cover all your electrolyte needs um, in these conditions um and then post-exercise, uh, again, there's probably no need to have a recovery product if you can um, eat a meal within within an hour, perhaps. Um, and again, if the budget allows, um, then you can provide some food or you can even kind of arrange a deal with like a local caterer or um, like a, a local food truck or something like that and and have their, their brand on around the stadium, uh, their, their logos around the stadium and, and they provide food like a, a cost price or something like that. And I guess it's good exposure for, for the, for the company, but then also um, great, great for the, for the club as well. And, and they can come in and obviously produce like a, a healthy uh, post-match meal or, or sorry, post uh, post-training meal. Um, I think actually uh, James Mohan uh, did that uh, or something similar to that uh, with Warrington Wolves. I think he, he, uh, I've seen him do that. So I kind of, took the idea from him and obviously I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I guess they have like a, a relatively low budget in comparison to many, many football clubs. So um, it's uh, that, that's certainly a good idea. Um, and then obviously when players are at home, you could probably do the same with local uh, greengrocers or, or butchers or, or fishmongers, you know, they, you could get them to like provide food boxes or fresh fi- uh, fruit and vegetables uh, to players if they are, uh, are allowed to advertise um, around the stadium or around the training ground um, and things like that. And you could do, probably do the same with local supermarkets as well. So um, if you develop weekly shopping lists and uh, guarantee that you can provide 30 players and, and their families into their shops every week, um, what, what discount can you provide us or, or something like that? Um, 
so yeah, I guess um, prioritize, come uh, go, kind of really focus on what matters, which is the, the daily diet and, and the food first approach, and and meeting nutritional needs, um, and then just becoming really, really good at that. Really, um, just really refining uh, the, the food service and, and ensuring that the, the diet is good, um, and then obviously there are certain circumstances where supplements will be uh, will be useful, and I mean like around game time, for instance. Um, and during the winter, vitamin D might be uh, might be valuable. Um, well, it certainly will be valuable. Um, so yeah, but I think that prioritize and then um, yeah, ensure that the food service is is uh, is good and uh, managed um, as best possible. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point in terms of the supplements as well. It's one thing that a lot of people will turn to straight away, isn't it? If they're looking for that extra bit out of their nutrition approach and it and like you say it's it's really the cherry on top isn't it like we need a lot of other things in in place first so just to go into it because we might be speaking to coaches here in that situation but we might also be speaking to some players that might be playing semi-professional or even amateur um, or even professional but what are some of the the basics that you'd be looking at so you've talked about sort of energy requirements and that but have you got some specifics in terms of like the, the first point of call that you go to yeah well i i guess the the real fundamental aspects are just eating three um three meals a day three square meals a day and then like you a, a football player uh will need to snack in between as well because their energy expenditure is probably like 2900 to maybe 3500 something like that and if they're semi-professional then it's going to be even higher than that because they have the the job stress as well um or the job um, activity, um, energy expenditure. So, um, yeah, three, three meals a day. Um, each of those meals has to contain some form of protein, um, a carbohydrate. So what you'd call like a quote unquote balanced meal. Um, and then aiming for like 10 servings of fruit and vegetables a day. So, uh, if you set the bar high, (laughs) then you're at least going to try and hit the minimum of five. Um, but uh, yeah, I think trying to hit 10 a day. So that's like three with the meals and then uh, the rest uh, with, with snacks in mid afternoon and then, um, and then uh, prior to sleep as well. Um, so yeah, with, within it, like a general kind of rule would be uh, if you had a plate, um, the, the palm of your hand, if you, if you put the palm of your hand on your plate, you kind of fill that space with, with a protein rich food. So meat, fish, eggs, um, chickpeas, lentils, um, or like a, a a dairy product of some sort and then you put your hand on your plate and you fill that space with a carbohydrate like a starchy carbohydrate and then the rest of the space is kind of uh filled with um like a a boost food or a a fruit or a vegetable uh, of some kind um and if you repeat that three times um then i think you're going to be uh that's going to be like three basic good good meals if you like um and then in between those then um yeah snacking on um it really depends on your your energy requirements but it could be something like like oat biscuits uh, rice cakes uh, again fruits um vegetables uh, before bed yogurt um is a really good um protein source and it digests quite slowly so it can help support overnight recovery and obviously you can add some more fruit to that as well and, and nuts and things like that if you have higher calorie requirements um so yeah just just making sure that those three meals are, are good and they're, they're kind of on point if you like um and then from there if you're consistent with that um i think yeah you, you won't be far wrong 
or something. And then looking more into like periodization now as well. Um, one thing I was going to ask actually was, and this might tie into periodization too, is you might see some players that are targeting more protein and fat where in certain meals. So is there any point that you would um, use that approach with players? So like you talked about breakfast before, getting carbohydrate sources in the breakfast. Would there be any point that you would focus more on like a protein and fat approach or, or were you saying with the energy requirements that we need more carbohydrate? Yeah, I mean, the, the primary fuel for football will be carbohydrates. So like in season, um, that, that's always going to be the, the priority really, especially in like in the earlier part of the day. So they're going to be like, if they're a professional player, they're going to be training in the morning. So in terms of fueling that session, then, then breakfast definitely has to feature a, a relatively large quantity of carbohydrate and then afterwards to, to recover and, and refuel. Um, later in the day, it could probably be tapered down, but I, you, they, they have such elevated carbohydrate needs that, that there still needs to be a carbohydrate in that evening meal. Um, just the glycemic index might change a little bit. So you might have things like quinoa, couscous, potatoes, um, and sweet potatoes and things like that in the evening. Uh, whereas like towards the start of the day, it could be like a, a higher glycemic carbohydrate, uh, like potentially like well done pasta or mashed potatoes or, um, yeah, spaghetti and, and breads and things like that. Yeah, that's cool. And then in terms of like periodization, if we could go into that, Matt, as well. So first of all, um, what we mean, because we were talking just before we started recording, a lot of people know about periodization when we talk about training, but when we talk about nutrition, there'll probably be a lot of people thinking periodization, how does that fit into nutrition? So can you just give a bit of a general um, definition of that to start with? Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, most people are aware of like training periodization and how to do it and how to manage it and how, how to measure it as well. Um, so pretty, pretty simply, uh, nutritional periodization is basically just aligning nutrition with uh, training periodization. So the, obviously, um, as training is periodized, so you get higher intensity training days or load increases on certain days. Uh, certain days you have like rest days, for instance. Um, and then you have like lower intensity training days. So essentially that impacts the one, the energy requirements and, and two, the macronutrient requirements as well. Um, so yeah, it's just basically matching um, the, the diet and ensuring that it, it meets the day's objective and, and objectives could be kind of broadly defined or, or broadly categorized as like preparation, uh, recovery, uh, performance and then potentially even adaptation days so you've got like a, a, a day where the where the objective is to prepare for the game uh, an objective another one that could be like um, performance related uh, the next one recovery related and then uh, the fourth one would be like adaptations and adaptations more like in in pre-season but uh, in certain contexts you can also get an adaptation day in in like the middle of the week like a tuesday or a wednesday for instance and uh, so yeah I think Asuka, you can drop, uh, came up with a definition actually for nutritional periodization. And he kind of broadly defined it as uh, the strategic uh, combined use of exercise and training uh, and nutrition, or nutrition only, uh, with the objective uh, to obtain adaptations and, and support performance. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's basically just aligning nutrition with the day's objective uh, or the, the day's training objective. Um, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates on our online community. So I mentioned in the previous episode that we have now 
uploaded our most recent webinar from Harry Routledge, high performance coach, previously of Los Angeles FC. Um, and Harry has done a webinar for us on the high performance environment. With that's to join the recent uh, webinars from Dr. Will Abbott down at Brighton. Will did one on using research to inform applied practice. And also Hamish Munro, SNC coach at Bristol City. Um, Hamish did a webinar for us on velocity-based training in professional football. So they're just the, the most recent webinars, some great content from the guys on there. And they join a host of other webinars on the community as well, as well as um, 10 of our network meeting presentations as well. So you can go and watch all of that on our online community. If you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab. And if you're not a member, if you sign up there, it gives you a free month on the community so you can see exactly what it's all about. And if you remain a member after that, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you will get access to all future webinars. And when our network meetings can kick back in again, you'll get access to the network meeting presentations as well as, well as our online forum. So go and check it out. Um, footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there and just one final thing to mention before we get into part two with Matthew is we have now got our brand new ebook which is we every Monday we release a mobility drill on our social media and this ebook is 50 of our favorite mobility drills that is available on our website and depending when you're listening to this episode, um, the end of this week, which will be, just double check the date, so uh, Sunday the 7th of June, if you purchase it before then, it is available at the early bird price of just £4.99. So you can get that by going again to the website, footballfitfed.com, click the shop at the top, and that will give you access to our 50 Mobility Drills ebook. Every drill is comes with uh, video guidance so that takes you through to our YouTube channel and that gives you um, the video explanation of how to do the drill as well so go and check it out footballfitfed.com and I will leave you to part two of the episode with Matt Jones. So from a, um, a sports science or an s point of view that might really tie in with um, certain times of the season but like you mentioned there certain times of the week so if we did a really high intensive day um, how would that differ to your approach and I suppose tying that in with if there's one person in control of training and nutrition what are some things that they need to be aware of if it's not if there's not a nutritionist at the club and a sports scientist at the club if it's just one person what do they need to be aware of on those days yeah absolutely well I guess before we, before we begin, like periodization of nutrition in football is quite is quite challenging, and and to the untrained eye, it might you might not even be able to notice a difference, to be honest, um, because basically the the energy requirements of in football are are not extreme, if you like. So in a in an endurance athlete, you you can go like upwards of like ten thousand calories a day. Uh, right the way down to maybe like 2,500 calories a day on like a complete day off, for instance. So that, there's like two extremes there. And then obviously the, the energy requirements there are, are completely different. Um, so if you saw a plate of food or, or like a periodized approach within that in, like context, you'll notice a huge difference. Whereas in football, it's, it's quite, it's, it's much smaller. Um, and so the energy requirements 
although they, they do change, uh, it might, to the untrained eye, the plate of food probably looks pretty much the same. Um, it's just the, the kind of the really fine details that like trained nutritionists or, or dietitians can really notice. Um, so when I often talk about like the periodized approach to like sports science stuff or things like that, and they're like, yeah, I, I understand it, but sometimes I can't really see it. Um, so yeah, you, you have to really, um, and, and I guess as we go into this a little bit more, you'll start to understand like how and, and why you can't necessarily see it. So, um, if, if Saturday and, um, so you've got obviously Saturday game and then like potentially recovery day on, on the, uh, on the Sunday and Monday training, Tuesday training, um, Wednesday off and then training Thursday, Friday, and, and then another game on Saturday. Um, you could kind of, if we like align, uh, the training periodization and to, to certain objectives. So obviously performance is the, the primary objective on the, on the Saturday, uh, Sunday would be like a recovery. Uh, Monday would be kind of potentially recovery as well. Tuesday, that's where you, some clubs might have the overload day. Um, and then on that day, that's where we see the increases in load, um, and increases in, in like intense actions. So, uh, if we like revert back to like exercise physiology, we know that any time that we do any intense action, then carbohydrate oxidation increases. So you, you burn more carbohydrate, um, and you'll also burn more calories because you're just moving further and and, and for longer. So yeah, increasing um, energy intake on those days and, and from carbohydrate is is going to be. Uh, going to be really, really important um, because on those days there is uh, an increased need or increased requirement for, for carbohydrate. I know it's probably hard to answer this specifically, Matt, but I'm just trying to think about the sort of questions that people will be asking at this time. So in terms of that increase of carbohydrate, what would you like practically be recommending? So if someone had like a jacket potato on the plate, is it a case of having a, a that that portion again or how would that look i know it probably depend on the player yeah yeah absolutely um it it's it's as you say it's widely um kind of dictated by the player's preference really and, and in what type of food that they prefer uh, but if we take um like a we take that week that I've just kind of outlined there. So Monday we'd be looking at like a, a moderate carbohydrate intake of like maybe four grams per kilogram. And then Tuesday it would be like a slightly higher six grams per kilogram. Wednesday would be like the, the, the off day. So it would be like a, a low day. So it'd be like three grams per kilogram carbohydrate. And then it kind of ramps back up all the way up to eight grams per kilogram uh, on like the date match day minus one and then match day. So if we're looking at um, for, for an outfield player, anyway, for, for a goalkeeper, they're probably kind of more in the moderate range across all, across all days, because as, as you're aware, game day for a goalkeeper is probably like a, a rest day almost. Uh, they kind of get battered during training. But the goalkeepers kind of going union to, are going to be after you there, Matt. They're going to be coming after you with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very confident there. But no, let me put it out there. They work incredibly hard during training. So that hopefully that gets me some brownie points. Yeah, so uh, go, going back to the, the points. So if we think about like uh, an 80 kilogram like outfield player, um, if they need to consume like eight grams per kilogram of, of carbohydrate on match day minus one, so that's roughly 640 grams of carbohydrate. So if we kind of developed a, a meal plan for them, uh, like a theoretical meal plan, uh, that could be something like porridge uh, with honey, 
um, a, a breakfast, like a, a, a pretty large serving of porridge with, with honey and then also a, some toasts uh, with an omelette um, and, and a smoothie uh, at breakfast. So like a, a fairly substantial breakfast and then a sports drink during training or, or after training. Uh, I know I previously said that it, it, it probably not going to benefit, but uh, during training, it can offset uh, glycogen, uh, glycogenolysis, so it can prevent the, the breakdown of glycogen. So, and it can also top up carbohydrate intake in that context. So in other contexts, it's probably not really that useful, but uh, match day minus one, it will be. Uh, then we go on to lunch. Uh, that could be like a, a soup uh, with bread roll and then a, a moderate to large serving of rice, perhaps. Um, and then afterwards, you probably have to have like a, a healthy dessert, maybe like a, a muffin or something like that, or uh, like a, 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 an in-house rice cake. Uh, then mid-afternoon, you're probably going to have to have another carbohydrate-rich snack, which could be like a rice cake and a, and a banana with, with some honey on it. Uh, you're probably going to have to have like three of those, to be honest. Um, and then in the evening meal, um, it could be like a, a large serving of like spaghetti bolognese with, with fruit juice. And uh, we, we typically provide like a, a dessert, like rice pudding uh, with something like a, a rhubarb and, and berry compote uh, to, go, to go with it. Again, just to add some more carbohydrate. Um, and then again, like prior to sleep is another opportunity. So you've probably got another 100 grams of carbohydrate that you need to consume. So adding a carbohydrate rich meal before you go to bed is probably a uh, going to be required as well so that could be like a, a bowl of uh, rice krispies or like a, a light cereal of some kind um, and then some dried fruits perhaps like a handful of, of dried apricots so it's a considerable amount of carbohydrate and to be honest it's uh, it's it's no wonder that n not many players can actually kind of attain that not many and if we look at the research and we look at like observationally like when I see players uh, on the day before a game, they they can't get anywhere near that. To be honest, uh, they could. And if we look at like Liam Anderson's research, he kind of reported that close to like four to four point five grams per kilogram in the, the the day before a game. And like the gold standard right now, the the gold standard recommendation is eight grams per kilogram. So it's it's like almost double that. And you imagine. Uh, trying to get a player to eat that breakfast or so like a, a large bowl of porridge with honey and and then toast and a moment as well and a smoothie uh, before they go to train that it, it, like it's probably not it's probably not going to happen so we have to be creative in in ways in which we get that additional carbohydrate into them uh, obviously they, they they prefer feeling quite light and um, they don't like going into training like full and, and feeling heavy and, and things like that so um, maximizing the, the the opportunities like mid afternoon and then before they go to bed is 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 highly recommended, um, and that's that's something that we've kind of been refining and, and working on. Um, yeah, so it, it's a considerable amount of carbohydrate on that day um, that they require, um, but we know that there's a big mismatch between like the gold standard recommendations and what is actually happening right now. Uh, that, that there's a huge there's a huge difference in that, and uh, there was. Um, I think there was a, a meta-analysis back in 2019 that it showed the average uh, carbohydrate intake of a, of, a, of a footballer is close to like four and a half to five grams per kilogram a day, um, which, yeah, it's, it's, it's way off. Um, and, and kind of the worrying thing is it actually uh, reduces as they get to the first team. So there's like a, it, it's a little bit higher in the academy ages, in, in those age groups. It's um, probably like, closer to six grams per kilogram still not really high but um as as they get older um the carbohydrate intake seems to 
seems to reduce. And I, I guess you could speculate there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. Like, uh, I guess as they get older, they, they might have like wives and girlfriends and they're exposed to different media messages. And uh, maybe they go out for breakfast in, in London. They go to like the fancy cafes where they have like avocado toast and things like that. So their, their fat intake will increase, uh, but their carbohydrate intake will reduce. Whereas they might previously have had like a, a bowl of cereal or something. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's been replaced with with still a healthy meal. But in their kind of context, um, it's... Uh, not necessarily as good perhaps um so it's not necessarily that they're they're um eating like bad things it's probably just in certain contexts or circumstances they're eating like the the wrong things i guess and you you mentioned a a time where i'm i'm sure there's many myths around this time in terms of before bed should i eat should i not eat do we eat a lot like the you hear a lot of different things, don't you, at that time? And it's one that a lot of people will question. So, and, and we've got to make, we, you, like you said, context is really key. We're talking about footballers here. We're not talking about general population. We're talking about strictly footballers. But even still, you must get a lot of questions about that time. Like, should I eat before bed? So what's your general thoughts around that if someone was to question that? Yeah, again, going back to the context thing, it's really important. And the only time that I would recommend like eating carbohydrate prior to prior to bed would probably be the day before a game, um, just because we need to like make the most of every feeding opportunity, and and that is an opportunity to top up uh, carbohydrate and top up glycogen prior to sleep. Um, I've actually spoken to like Shona Halson about this as well, and and she's kind of on, agrees. Uh, we, we kind of both came up with a with a strategy at Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea women whereby we 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 do kind of encourage carbohydrate intake prior to sleep but not too close to sleep um so maybe like two hours before they go to bed maybe even a little bit more than that um so yeah just in in that context yes um in others then a protein rich meal uh, prior to sleep so it could be like a, a yogurt with uh, berries and, and nuts and seeds and things like that would be would be the ideal recommendation. But I guess one of the issues that I've also faced is um, in certain circumstances on game day, um, players won't consume breakfast. So they'll wake up, um, they'll maybe extend sleep. Um, and then if they've got like a three o'clock kickoff, the first meal of the day will be like the pre-match meal, which could be anywhere between like 11 and, and 12, uh, anywhere anywhere between that, depending on, on the coach and, and the player as well. Um, so the, yeah, they, they'll often skip breakfast. So that's another opportunity there where uh, glycogen has kind of dropped a little bit overnight. Maybe seventy grams of carbohydrate uh, from from the liver is kind of gone. Um, so yeah, making the most of that pre-bed opportunity to to maximize carbohydrate intake um, can almost not completely offset that that issue of not waking up for breakfast and. Um, especially in the professional game, um, game, like breakfast at most clubs that I've worked at, to be honest, has been like a, an optional, uh, it's not been compulsory. So you, you, it's, it's there, but you you can come if you want and, and you, but you don't have to. Um, and, and many players don't. So now we have to kind of have snacks and things available to, in their rooms, um, to make sure that they're getting that additional carbohydrate, because what we don't know is if they skip breakfast, um that what are they able to compensate for that like later in the day 
Um, and that, and that's not only calories, but it's also protein. It's also carbohydrate. And obviously, if they're doing that over the course of a season, like fifty games, fifty games a year, maybe more. Um, what what impact is that having? It like if they're having, if they're in a negative energy balance on game day, what impact is that having on recovery and, and immune function and all that kind of thing? If they're if they're unable to compensate uh, for, for the missed energy, and the likelihood is after games they're probably not able to compensate. Uh, we know that appetite is suppressed um, after after games. And so it, it's unlikely in, in the uh, after game, after a game, they're able to compensate for that that missed, missed energy at breakfast. So yeah, go, going back to the point, I wouldn't always recommend carbohydrate before bed. In fact, that would probably be the only time that I would recommend it. Um, and it wouldn't be like immediately before bed. It would be a few hours prior. I think it'd be great as well to dive into that game day a little bit more because um, you mentioned there about some players not eating, essentially fasting in the morning. So uh, just first of all, do you think that comes from, again, do you think that comes from media, from the sort of um, popularity that, that fasting seems to be getting, uh, intermittent fasting, or do you think that's just generally that players don't like to have, don't like to have the feeling of, having full stomachs and feeling lighter, like you said before? Yeah, I think, I think there's a number of factors, really. Like we did like a brief survey on, on, um, on the players that we were working with just to try and find out why they weren't eating breakfast. And there, there was a, a number of different reasons. Like the, the most commonly cited reason was that it was too close to, to uh, the pre-match meal. So you can imagine if like bre- breakfast on game day would be, maybe like, I don't know, nine o'clock and then the pre-match meal will be like 11.30, well, between 11.30 and 12. So it is it is quite close. And it's, um, so yeah, that was the most commonly cited reason. And uh, another one was uh, I prefer to sleep in. Um, I, I, I don't go to bed. I find it quite difficult to go to bed. Um, so if I extend it a little bit, I can kind of get the required quantity of sleep that I need. And, and that is quite hard to argue with that. Um, and uh, yeah, there was, there was a few different, um, reasons, but, um, they, they were kind of genuine reasons, you know, they were, um, most of them were kind of geared towards the fact that uh, the, the player wanted to feel better and, and comfortable, more comfortable during the game, not necessarily like anything around like the benefits of fasting or anything like that. And then in terms of that game day, like what are some other considerations we need to make up until kickoff and then also straight after the game? Yeah. So if we think about like the, the game day itself, um, again, carbohydrate is, is, is going to be really important. So uh, again, one thing I've noticed is many players find it difficult to meet carbohydrate requirements in that pre-match meal. So you could have a target of like anywhere between like two to two and a half grams per kilogram of carbohydrate in that meal. And uh, so we're probably talking like 160 grams of carbohydrate. And uh, that, that's that's quite challenging for them. One, they, they don't have an appetite if they're playing against like a, a big club then uh, like in front of a lot of people on, on live TV, then yeah, your appetite somehow gets sucked out of you. Um, so and and I guess staff can vouch for that as well. It kind of happens to everyone, not just the players. Um, and then you're trying to encourage them to eat like a, a large bowl of pasta or a large bowl of rice and a, a piece of like toast and or with with jam or something like that and apple juice. Then um, it, it it sometimes doesn't align. You know, it's um, so making the most of like every opportunity prior to that is really really important. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, the the, the priority within that that pre match meal would be carbohydrate, but it's also important to have like a, a balance. So um, we want uh, so we know that protein can um, kind of support in terms of like managing uh, blood glucose levels. Um, so it kind of slows down the digestion of foods. It, it helps um, helps in that regards, but then it also helps to optimize neurotransmitters as well. So like the chemi- chemical signals in your brain uh, and things like that. So in terms of making you feel more alert and, and things like that, if you have like a large dosage of carbohydrate on its own, you can get an increase in, in serotonin, which can make you feel quite, quite lethargic. So it's important to have like a, a balance um, and some protein and, and some vegetables as well, some higher fiber f- uh, foods. Um, to provide some uh, some amino acids to, to optimize the the cognitive elements as well, um, and as you get closer to the game, uh, well, hydration is a pretty important uh, part of that as well. The, the pre match meal, um, and then obviously as you get closer to the game, the pref the, well the the emphasis is still on carbohydrate and fluids, and so fueling and uh, and things like that. But but uh, the, the food probably changes slightly, and it goes to like more simple things like liquid based things within an hour um and then we have we actually have like a system whereby we like make meal tickets for players so we take their like favorite food um and then we take their requirements and basically make a little meal ticket for them so uh, it's more of like a, a table service rather than um like a, a buffet style uh, because again going back to like observations you see many players eating almost way too much and then some players not eating enough at all and that's basically stems from the fact that they don't know what to eat and sometimes they obviously the psychological aspects as well so we we basically just make a a meal ticket for them and they have it on their phone so they can just refer to it every pre-match meal and and they eat pretty much the same thing every pre-match meal so uh, it's it's pretty simple in that regards and and then we have the same for the for the the game itself so we don't want to change too much there because obviously if you start changing things, you can get some gastrointestinal issues and stuff. So um, they have like a fueling card as well, which is like published on the inside of their changing space, if you like. It's just on the side of the wall. And it's, it's basically like a timeline. Well, you need to have this here. You need to have this here. And uh, they have like one side of it is for if they start the game. And then the other side is if if they're a substitute. Um, so obviously the, the type of food and, and fluid that they have is, is going to be different. So the, the glycemic index will, will be will be slightly different. It'll be like a, a slow fuel, if you like, if they're a substitute and, and more of a, a fast fuel if they're, a, if they're starting the game. Uh, and then after the game, um, so obviously the, the emphasis then quickly changes to, to recovery. So um, I, I have like a, a 5R principle of recovery. So most people have heard of like the three Rs. Uh, well, I have um, like refuel with carbohydrate um, rehydrate with fluid, uh, re- repair muscle or rebuild muscle with, with protein, and then uh, reduce inflammation and, and oxidative stress with anti-inflammatories and antioxidants. Um, and then uh, the fifth one is like rest and relax. So obviously most people have heard of um, like the, the refueling, so carbohydrate feeding regularly um, in, the, in the immediate aftermath or the first like three to four hours after a game. And, and that can be quite quite challenging really because Again, we're looking at really large dosages, like one one to one point two grams per kilogram of carbohydrate every hour, almost after after a game. And you can imagine if you just chased like Mo Salah or Roberto Firmino around the, around the pitch for the last ninety minutes, you 
you're not going to fancy that much carbohydrate, especially not every every hour for the next four hours. So again, it's it's a real practical challenge of overcoming that. So you have to really focus on foods that they enjoy, so flavors that they like. Um, so that's where you can really get into flavor preferences. So you can start to adjust the the drink around what they like. And and like the the typical recovery drink is like a, a whey protein with like a, a carbohydrate of some sort, and it's quite thick and heavy. Um, and one thing that we've noticed is in, in recent in recent years is that like a lighter like a fruit flavored drink is is much uh, much more like preferable, um, and it works as well, if not better, uh, because obviously they're consuming it. Um, so yeah, we, we started to kind of refine uh, refine that like phase one recovery, which is like the the, the liquid, uh, and then like phase two recovery would be like a, a post match meal of some sort. Um, I know like culturally that, that, that differs from, from club to club. Um, some clubs now have like sit down meals, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and then myself, like my clubs, uh, they, they have like more like finger food, like buffet style. Um, so, uh, and then phase three would be kind of like later on in the evening. Um, and then, um, phase four would be like before bed for like a three o'clock kickoff for instance. And, um, so yeah, so that would be like the, the recovery thing. So I guess the one thing that people, as I mentioned, most people have heard of like refueling the carbohydrate and uh, rehydrating and things like that. And uh, they've probably heard of um, re- repairing muscle as well. But the ones that they might not have heard of is uh, the, the re- reducing um, oxidative stress and re- uh, inflammation and then also uh, rest and relax. So obviously I know that um, nutrition can't necessarily... Um, directly influence like resting and relaxing and uh, i'm kind of a little bit unsure of anything that can actually promote sleep or anything like that so but i definitely uh, food or nutrition can definitely indirectly influence the feelings of like resting and relaxing so things like uh, like having a live chef in the in the uh, in the changing rooms after a game like i know arsenal have um, a pretty high profile chef uh, like making the post-match meals and stuff and that basically quickly turns the attention away from the game to oh wow there's a chef making amazing food in my meal uh, in, in my changing rooms and and that can overcome some of the things that are the, the players thinking about the the poor referee decision or he's pissed off because he missed an open goal or something like that and it can quickly divert the attention away from that and get them to like kind of rest and, and relax i guess and it's more of the, the psychological component um, another aspect is going out for meals with friends and and family and and kind of get getting away from football. Um, again, that can really help psychologically. And if you go to like your favorite restaurant, that that can that can really help. And so we try and encourage players to to go out with with family and friends and just kind of enjoy the enjoy the the meal and and enjoy the food. And and that can help with that rest and relaxation part. And obviously, after a heavy defeat, it's probably not a good idea. You might bump into some uh, some mad fans. Um, and then obviously prior to sleep, there's things that you can do to, to support or not necessarily promote sleep, but create a better environment. Um, things like tryptophan and, and maybe even carbohydrate again, um, magnesium and, and some nootropics as well that, that can help with, uh, with promoting, promoting sleep. So although nutrition probably doesn't directly Im- impact rest and relaxation, it, it can certainly indirectly uh, influence things. Awesome, and I think it'd be great just to touch on as well with a lot of players going back into games and what is potentially going to be a very heavy work schedule now as well. 
what are some key things we need to consider with that change from obviously they've still been training but they're going onto a very higher much higher workload aren't they yeah absolutely so going back to the the pyramid of importance again so the energy requirements are going to increase so one they're going to have to increase the the quantity of food that they're consuming uh, but the likelihood is they're going to be requiring more carbohydrate now because they're going to be moving at higher intensities um so yeah the 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 changes that they make to their meals are primarily going to be around the carbohydrate space um so if you imagine like the the general example i give like i gave of like putting your hand on the plate it might now be like you you need like two hands on your plate of of carbohydrate and and things like that so just adjusting the the serving size of carbohydrate to to reflect uh the requirements uh, of the new of the new schedule and um it's, it's a real challenge because obviously you need to um, kind of pick up that or, or adapt and, and get fit quite quite quickly. It'll gain match fit quite quickly, but then you also need to like, maximize recovery as well within within a short space of time. So, yeah, just focusing on the energy component and then the, the macronutrient component and, and adjusting carbohydrate intake to, to reflect those changing demands is um is going to be the most important part definitely and then with the environmental stress then just keeping up on on hydration and um just making sure that your your pee is nearly see-through consistently um and drinking uh, consistently yeah awesome mate and then we said about practical um interventions but to be fair i think you've touched on a lot of that already was there anything else that you wanted to go into with that yeah to be honest i, I think uh the other one was probably half time. I, I probably skipped past that. And to be honest, Mark Russell, uh, Dr. Mark Russell um, over at Leeds Trinity, uh, he, he's kind of changed the changed the game in this in this area. He, I actually owe him a testimonial. <laughs> We've been talking about this since 2015, and uh, he's really shaped my practice in in this regards. And he, so his work has has been incredible. And people in in that area of uh, like Liam Harper and things like that, they've done a real great job of. Uh, investigating like halftime practices and the practices that, like optimizing halftime and optimizing like substitutions and, and extra time and things like that. There's been really great research in those areas in the last few years. So um, I think if you if you refer back to, to Mark's paper from I, I think it was 2015, he he looked at basically making a timeline. Um, he took the 15 minute halftime period um, and looked at ways in which we can optimize that. Um, so basically the first time, uh, 10 minutes, uh, were kind of spent, uh, with the team talks, like the, the tactical stuff, getting a, getting a rollicking if you need to and, uh, addressing your boots and, and hair, <laughs> which is quite important, obviously. Um, and, and rehydrating as well. So in, in initial 10 minutes, uh, like taking off fluids and, uh, and electrolytes. Uh, and then in the final 10 minutes, uh, that's when the carbohydrate, uh, comes in so um so you have like gels uh, and then maybe even like caffeine gum and, and stuff like that as well and basically um mark's research was came off the back of like one of his findings was that um many players were experiencing rebound hypoglycemia um in in the second half so basically where blood glucose goes up rapidly and then it but it drops quite considerably as well um, and he noticed there was like a almost like a thirty or or forty percent drop in blood glucose around seven, uh, sixty minutes um, after that period of half time. So he was looking at ways in which he could optimize that that period. Um, and he again came up with that kind of timeline. 
Um, and I've actually utilized it um, and it, it works It works well. Like, I don't have any objective data to, to support that, but I know that players uh, respond well to it and it works practically because the, the first 10 minutes you've given to the coach to address tactics and like, the players to address equipment and things like that. And then you walk around with the, with the carbohydrate and the, and the, the caffeine gum and things like that. And um, so, yeah, I think that that would be uh, one of the practical interventions that I kind of, I uh, missed out on um, during during the, the game day, uh, but yeah, I think the other ones like the recovery, uh, yeah, just focusing on the on the five R's and um, just going back to the periodization thing. I think that that would be another practical intervention, really, that uh, people should probably try and try and work on or, or focus on. And in terms of football, as I said, it, it is quite quite difficult. Uh, so um, if if you think. Uh, uh, carbohydrate requirements go from like six grams per kilogram down to like four grams per kilogram the likelihood is you're pro- the untrained eye is probably not going to be able to notice the difference so that could be like a plate of pasta versus like a, a plate of couscous or quinoa or something like that you know it's it, it's it's not like it's it's quite difficult to detect um but there there is a difference like in the nutritional values of those meals you know you could uh, you can change from like a large serving spoon to a tablespoon, for instance. So a large ta- uh, serving spoon of, of pasta could be like 30, 40 grams of carbohydrate, whereas like a, a tablespoon, if, if you serve couscous with a tablespoon, it could be like five or six grams of carbohydrate. Um, and the likelihood is you're not going to sit there and put like 10 serving spoons. So just making like really small uh, like small subtle changes that the player is not really going to notice that can really help uh, like help you apply that periodized approach uh, within, within the practical setting. Um, but yeah, as I say, it is, it is quite challenging because uh, the, the energy expenditures of football footballers is, is not that high and it's not really helped by the fact that they're quite sedentary outside of football. Um, I think that one of, one of my colleagues at West Ham did some research in that area and found that uh, 79% of players time outside of football is spent in sedentary activity so like sitting down watching tv and, and things like that so you can imagine that, that that's not necessarily helping the fact that they already have like fairly moderate energy expenditures and uh, and then trying to apply those really high carbohydrate intakes uh, can be quite challenging as well again from a body composition perspective so if you imagine you're like preparing for a game and, and promoting carbohydrate intakes of like eight grams per kilogram across a squad of outfield players. What if they don't play? That's like 4,000 calories. That's uh, like a nearly a thousand calorie surplus on that day. Uh, th- then you, that brings up the, the conversations of, okay, well, do we need to run them after games? Do we need to train match day plus one, or just that group? Um, and so it brings up some, some really big uh, questions like that kind of involve obviously the, the multidisciplinary team, but, uh, in terms of in terms of managing body composition and, and body weight, it can be it can be challenging as well. Um, so yeah, the, uh, there's a, there's a few a few things there. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that the whole body fat, body weight, uh, would have been something that players would have had to keep an, an eye on in this period and be wary of in this period as well, isn't it? With the 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 probably the lower load in terms of training. Um, so yeah, I think there's some really good points there. Matt, I think this has been another top podcast, to be fair, mate. I think there's been loads of stuff there. The main three areas we wanted to cover. Was there anything else you wanted to go into? 
No, no, no. Thank you very much, Ben. Yeah, it's uh, it's always great to chat, and I'm I'm sure we could have gone on more, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's nice. Great. Thank you very much for the invitation back. No, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Just want to remind people of your Twitter where they can get hold of you. Yeah, so uh, social media, um, Twitter. I uh, I always forget a thing. It's Matt Jones NC uh, N uh, for nutrition, and then a C for something random. I can't even remember. Um, and then Instagram, I think, uh, uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure what that is. Um, I'll yeah, have a look and I'll post some for you. Yeah, and then my, my, uh, we, we blog, so myself and my former colleague, Jay Stellini, have a, a, a blog and it's called uh, Sport Perfects, www.sportperfx.com. And uh, we've got some relatively interesting things on there, I guess. Brilliant. I'll put all those links um, in the show notes so they can go and follow you. And I I would say if you're not listening to episode 79 as well, um, the previous one that that Matthew did, there's loads of information on that as well. So, but I just want to say thank you for coming back on, mate. It's been great to catch up again. No worries. Likewise, Ben, thanks for the invitation and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. I'm sure. Thank you very much. Definitely, mate. Speak to you soon. Just want to say a big thank you to Matt for coming back on. It's always great to speak to him. Go and give him a follow on Twitter at MattJonesNC. And some takeaways for me, um, just extending on to the last episode with him. And if you haven't checked that out, go and check out episode 79 because there's plenty of information in that one, slightly different topics in that one as well. So loads of great nutrition information coming from Matt. Um, where he mentioned knowledge doesn't equal actions, so not it's more than just a case of trying to educate our players. Um, it's also trying to get embed some good habits into them. Um, he also spoke about his. I, I can't remember who, who did the research, but he said about carb drinks being more affected in fasted states or fasted athletes, um, which was interesting. And then one of the bigger ones for me was when he talked about meal tickets. And I know a lot of people will probably say that they don't have the time to go through all individual meal plans and give players individual approaches. But I think if if it is something that you could potentially adopt in your practice, then I think the idea of the meal ticket makes it really simple for the player. And I suppose you could make that as complex as you wanted to um, or as simple as you wanted to as well. And then... He also touched on it's hard to notice the difference in carb serving. So that's that's comes down to experience. It comes down to knowing what different servings look like. And we were talking, that was tied in with the nutrition um, periodization talk that an untrained eye might not necessarily notice the difference between two different carbohydrate servings. So you do need to be aware of that. It, when um, dishing out any any nutrition information to players. So they were my takeaways. Again, it would be great to hear yours. So give us a tag on Twitter or Instagram at FootballFitFed or reach out on email, mail at FootballFitFed.com and let us know what your biggest takeaways were from the episode with Matt. Matt also wanted me to mention one of the companies that he worked with because I know he works closely with Soccer Supplement and it's some someone that we spoke to a lot before. And they actually offer a discount to our community members, but I'll I'll mention the, the discount code on here as well if you guys want to reach out to them because I know they're willing to support anyone that's got any budget constraints and support the nutritional side, uh, nutritional support for your players. So 
reach out to them, go and give them a follow, Soccer Supplement. And if you do purchase anything with Soccer Supplement, use the code FOOTBALLFITFED and that gives you 30% off. Um, and there's some great products. And I know Matt you, works very closely with them at West Ham and the clubs that he works with as well. Um, and then also, Matt was mentioning that he is doing some work with clubs as well. So um, he is looking for new relationships with clubs. So if you'd like to reach out to him, he's got loads of resource, resources to share from recipes to nutrition guides, fueling and recovery interventions, periodized menus, loads of great information from Matt. So if you drop him an email to find out more about it, it's Matt at mjnutrition.co.uk so I do encourage it if you do want any more information or you look to work with Matt which I do recommend he's a top top practitioner um, go and reach out to him matt at mjnutrition.co.uk so again big thank you to Matt for coming back on and big thank you again for you guys um, for listening to the podcast next week we are just going to have one show so these double shows, um, this is going to be the final week of the double shows. We're going to go back to single shows per week. But big thank you to uh, for your support and for your listening and for sharing the show. And we will speak to you next week on episode 91.